Good afternoon, friends and traders. Welcome to the Limit Up Podcast. I am Dan Hodgman. I'm Jack Felzer. New year. Jack, how you doing? I'm doing great, except I am in a room where I'm on this rolly chair and a hardwood floor, and I keep on rolling Slip away. and sliding so all over. <laughs> I got to figure that out at some point. So good analogy maybe for the markets. Who knows? Well, they're slipping and sliding all over the place as well. Um, but happy new year. Uh, it's good to be back, especially to all our listeners out there. Um, hopefully you guys are all off to a strong start this year. The dozens of you. We appreciate each and every one of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is good. I'm glad to be back. Uh, it was a nice holiday. Looking forward to a 2023 that I should stop wishing at this point. It's maybe a little better than 2022, but things are good on my end. Well, I remember 2019 and going, gosh, I hope 2020 is better than 2019. And uh, I, that's, uh, since then, I have just stopped wishing one year is going to be better than the next. Well, it's always the uh, monkey's paw situation when you wish for more volatility. I remember when the VIX was around 12. It was just every year. Man, could there be a little more movement? This is getting uh, pretty boring here. And uh, be careful what you wish for because there's been a lot of movement. <laughs> no kidding. Well, let's talk about markets really quick. You know. Obviously, news today sent the uh, stock market uh, in a little bit of a tizzy. You got stocks down across the board pretty heavily. Uh, we saw a nice little bounce, though, midday, um, but that rotated back to the low side. Both NASDAQ is uh, approaching it or may, try, attempting to make new lows where the S&P is uh, approaching its lows. Crude oil stays inside all day after yesterday's big break. Yesterday, we broke from 77 bucks all the way down to 73 off the open today. This is what I really loved. Anyone that's ever listened to me, you know, if you guys remember a long time ago, I used to be doing recaps and I used to cover on the forecast. One of my biggest trades that I'm always looking for is movement off a of settlement price, especially around market open. Um, that happened here today in the crude oil on the open. We moved right down to settlement price, and then on the stock open, we had a nice bounce. So really great opportunity there. And then on the flip side, on the open for 10-year uh, note, 10-year note opened up above settlement price, moved lower, and as soon as we got two settles, the acceleration was on and moved all the way down, almost a full handle. Mm -hmm. um, so the reason I bring this up and why I like talking about settlement price, I want to just kind of give a little clarity of what settlement can be um, it's not a guarantee that you're going to see acceleration through. Um, I always view settlement price as an area of opportunity, where whether it's entering or exiting. Um, and you tend to see historically, it's not always the case, but you tend to see really good movement around those prices because that's a price most position traders are keeping an eye on. Their position from the prior day is based off of settlement price. It tells them, you know, net longs and shorts, uh, their position. And you tend to see some opportunity there. So settlement can really be a, um, a stopping point where that market reverses, or it can be an accelerant. So as market gets to settlement price, you tend to see markets accelerate through. So there's two obviously opposite things that can happen. Um, but to me, it's a great area to look for an opportunity. Yeah, I won't put too much into it because we're coming out of the holidays and you expect things to be not making huge moves. They have occasionally in the past. But when I'm looking at the ES right now, we've been remarkably in a little range, congestion area, uh, between about 3,900 and 3,800 since Friday, December 16th. So that's, that's something there. It's kind of bouncing back and forth here for a while now. So um, breaks below that 3,800, that could get interesting. So Jack, 
Let's talk about some things that could uh, make that market potentially break below 3600 or above. Well, it is the new year, so I figured we'd talk today a little bit about the emerging and, in many cases, continuing trends that we need to look out for in the markets, whether you trade futures, options, whatever you trade. If you're buying corn, if you're whatever you're doing, these are the trends that are going to matter in 2023. Plus, whatever comes up, who knows? So uh, we want to start this today by talking a little bit about something that's really been picking up in the last couple months, and that is sort of the loss of the infallibility of big tech. So the bad news Dan alluded to earlier was actually a good jobs number. Jobs market is strong for seemingly everyone except what has been for my entire adult life the most prestigious tech companies to work for, the big tech. Uh, Huge layoffs expected from Google. Amazon is laying off 17,000 corporate workers. That's a lot. Can you imagine having 17,000 corporate workers that you're laying off? Jack, when I saw that yesterday, I like started trying to process it, like how big that is. Obviously, at Amazon's level, that's not a huge percent, um, but that's a lot of people uh, that are going to be entering into the jobs market. It's still got to be pretty big. Let me check this out real quick. Uh, number of Amazon corporate employees. Okay, they. <laughs> I was expecting to be smaller than that. Uh, they have three. three <laughs> yeah, it's a massive. They number. have three hundred thousand corporate employees. So maybe not as big as we thought, but all these companies sort of fueled by something we'll talk about later with this trends, a zero interest rate environment is going to, um, it encourages a lot of investment in your future. Investment means hiring more people, doing more research. And some of these companies have gotten out over their skis a little bit, it seems, and now are reevaluating. So you've seen big turnarounds in all of them pretty much, but especially Google, Amazon, especially Facebook. A lot of specialties there. Facebook was spent, I think, $27 billion on the metaverse so far. And investors aren't loving that at the moment, although maybe TikTok will get banned. But this is a uh, job environment we haven't seen before, where employment is strong for the vast majority of jobs. But now there's going to be this huge influx of people from these big companies. And... I don't know, Dan. What do you think about this? Jack, I think, you know, for me, my thinking behind this is this is kind of a potential indicator for bigger concerns for smaller companies uh, in future state. This is obviously something new to us, something we've never really gone through on a scale like this. You know, big tech over the last five years, we've seen tremendous growth, um, both market cap financially um, and employment um, with the return to, I think, one of the big things that I keep in mind here is the return to um, normal life post-COVID. You have seen a little bit of a change, people adjusting their lifestyles. Inflation has increased, which has cost-adjusted our spending, right? Let's take, I think, a prime example to me is that you take something like Apple, an iPhone, versus a dozen eggs. Um, an Apple iPhone I don't know. I haven't bought a phone in a few years, but I believe it's around $1,000 to buy a cell phone. Um, call, call me if I'm wrong. Blatantly. Some of them, I, I don't yeah. think I am. I think I'm pretty darn close. That's approximately. $1,000 has really changed with inflation. Um, you look at the cost of eggs. I did it the other day for the first time in a while. I've really started paying attention to my spending. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm cognizant of it. 
a dozen eggs is double the price. So if I'm spending double on some of these small things, it's adjusting where I'm spending my other money. Same thing goes for things like Amazon. Obviously, Amazon is super easy to purchase things, really accessible. Um, but if I'm starting to recognize I'm spending in other places, where am I going to cut back? I'm going to cut back on things like Amazon. I'm going to cut back on you know, Instacart, right, where I'm paying for someone to go shop for my groceries and deliver my groceries. It's a little bit more cost effective for me to shop for my own groceries at the time. So if you got Instacart, um, purchasing things on Amazon is so easy. But if you're starting to spend in other places, you're starting to think about, well, I have other requirements or things that I need to purchase that I'm going to start to peel back on these nice to haves, um, such as the easy ordering Amazon. I may be able to run to Walmart and get something a little bit cheaper, um, things like that. So that's where I think we're going to start to see this shift. Um, and that's what I'm going to be paying close attention to. Well, I know most of our traders are trading the NQ. And I think this affects that if you're going to this trade this year in that, the NASDAQ has been hammered a whole lot more. It's disproportionately filled with these companies. And for it to get back to reasonable, like, honestly, the all things considered, the S&P 500 hasn't been terrible in the same way. There's a lot more room to go. The NASDAQ, just look back at, it can always go lower. If you look back at how it's outperformed the S&P or anything else over, say, I'm going to guess five years, 10 years, whatever else, there's a lot of room to go. We didn't have trillion dollar companies till a couple years ago. Apple just yeah. fell below two trillion. And you look at Tesla, for instance, it looks cheap on a chart. It's down about two thirds, but you know, you see that hundred dollar price, okay, but it's been split fifteen times by that point. That's still Tesla like fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred, which uh, a couple years ago the markets went wild when I remember when Tesla broke above 1200 or something like that. It was like, what is going on? This is insane. And JD, the dancing bear at one point told me like, yeah, I wouldn't get in front of it. It could go to 5,000 in a couple of years. And he was right. It wasn't even a couple of years. It was less mm -hmm. than a year split adjusted at its high. Let's think it was like close to $400. What is that? Like that's like close to 6,000. There's a lot more room. It's still a huge market cap company. And we don't know how these valuations are going to change in an environment where demand's a little softer, but more importantly, interest rates are higher and look to stay there for a little bit of time, which brings us to our next trend. Probably the biggest one is what the Fed's doing this year. Now, they are curmudgeonly right now, very curmudgeonly. They're really playing that hawk stuff up. They want to see inflation low. Who, who was it who came out yesterday from the Fed saying they see their terminal rates at five and a quarter, which is a whole other uh, percentage point from here, and then holding it for a while? Now, the trend for this coming year, and this is what I will be watching for trading and otherwise, the levy may break at some point. The CPI data is going to come in lower. I'll go out and say it. It's going to come out lower the next month because we already see the real-time indicators of things like rent and stuff slowing down. Right, and we can even you know touch on the fact that CPI is a year-over-year. Year. Um, so we know inflation has been up for the last year. Ideally, or sim simply put, it should start to come into range as start things start to stabilize. So, Or with the stabilization of everything that we have seen, I should re rephrase that. Yeah, the Fed is holding a real hard line right here where – despite some of the softening we've seen in the CPI data, they are not 
giving an inch as far as what their plan is. The question is, over these next few CPI prints, is what happens if the data is just not lining up what they're saying? At what point will the expectations change? So that's the level you could break. The, I can't imagine what these markets are going to do. Well, I can imagine which direction it's going to be. If the Fed were to come and say something that was unambiguous, unambiguously dovish at some point, it'd be crazy. I, there's I no, li no limit up during the day, but it would just be a pile in. So I, I think so. Yeah, similar to last year. So keep your eye on uh, the CPI and pay attention to what the market is indicating for terminal rates versus what the Fed is saying. And if that gap gets big, look for big volatility one way or the other. Jack, you mentioned something there that I think is really important for all retail traders out there to think about, right? Number one, you know, if they're dovish, there's no limit up. We could see things take off. Um, on the flip side, we could see these markets accelerate to the downside, maybe approach those limits. I think we saw NASDAQ down around 5% um, about three weeks ago. Uh, so big down move there, approaching those limits to the downside. What you need to think about as a retail trader is even though there's a big picture, you know, don't marry biases. That, that's the best part about retail day trading is you may have this long-term bias that the market's going to do X. But each and every day you get to come in and reestablish what direction you're seeing in the market. So really try and keep, I don't want to say keep the blinders on, but keep that focus small in the sense of what you're looking for on a day time frame. Now, obviously, if we flip hats and we're thinking a little bit more long term, yeah, definitely there's a lot more, you know, a lot of things that you can factor in. But on a day time frame as a day trader, with anyone here at Top Step as a day trader, you know, be comfortable shifting directions. I've found over the last few years, a lot of traders have really struggled with downside moves because they're so you know, used to stocks trending higher and trading down days has been a little bit more difficult. It's because the bias got created. You're thinking long term, you're thinking long all day long. You know, the long's been getting paid for 10 plus years. And then we started seeing in the last couple of years, we've seen some downturns in these markets and it's a little bit more difficult to trade because direction changes. You know, we're so used to looking at one specific thing. Be comfortable taking the opposite side of what your long-term bias is. Um, if the market gets quick in one direction, don't fight it. You do not want to be fighting directional moves. Um, and if you find you're fighting it, stop. Just get out for the day. Uh, that's the best thing you can do. Get out for the day. Wait for a day to come back. Wait to come back the next day. Make sure it's within your system, and then you can go ahead and start trading again. But if you're really struggling on uh, picking that direction or finding that direction or trading with trend and you keep finding yourself fighting it, that's a signal to get out of these markets and wait. I think we're going to have a big year ahead of us with a lot of opportunity. And be aware, we're still, through this last year, we were unambiguously in a downtrend, a lot of lower highs. Um, but right now, from where we are now, breaking above uh, 4,100, I think would be significant. I would still be... Uh, have my I'm looking for short trades still right now but if we get above 4100 I would probably stop to reevaluate and see what it does from there uh, because we kind of had a little bit of a dull bottom at 3600 and haven't been able to go back there yet uh, I think the next couple of weeks we're either going to test that or go right through 4100 
So note what Jack just said. He has a range that he's looking at and saying, if I find it above here, I need to reevaluate what I'm doing. Everyone should have those limits, those prices where they're looking at it for reevaluation. I'm pretty, <clears throat> Jack, as you know, I'm pretty active in the crude market. Mm -hmm. I've been trading that pretty heavily over the last, I don't know, three or four years. And for me, yeah, everyone knows I was looking at 83. I brought that down to 81 recently. Um, and I'm watching 70s down at the bottom. That's my area. If I find the market trading outside of those limits, that's where there's going to be a major adjustment for me. I need to shift what I'm looking at. Um, and that's what we need to be doing. You got to find those ranges of where your, your shifting is. Now, if I, for me, I'll be point blank. You know, I've been looking a little longer term and things like crude. So if I find the market right now rallying up to 81, I don't like my shorts as much or above 81. I don't like my shorts, but inside here to me, I would like to see this market potentially move lower. And I mean that from a trading perspective, not filling my gas tank perspective on my truck. Um, two different things there. And those are uh, what I'm going to be looking at. So we define these areas that we're looking at for shifts. Um, but once the market moves outside, we got to adjust. And every trader's strategy is going to be completely different. So what one person's looking at does not mean that's something you should be looking at. Or maybe it is, but you're looking at it in a different light. We're also getting close to, yes, absolutely right, Dan. We're also getting within striking distance of uh, a cross of the 50-day and the 200-day moving average, which is another thing in the next month that I would be looking at. Unless we go lower, then we'll stay down there. So we talked inflation here. We talked the Fed. What about the economy itself? The possibility of recession, the Fed trying to keep employment down. But I'll be looking at the trend of what's going on with China. I think that for the first time in a long time, China is not growing gangbusters, and they've had some pretty big uh, own goals, as they say at soccer here. And any reduction in demand there is going to be a big catalyst, right? You're looking at energy markets, Dan. If China's not buying oil, that's good for your gas tank. Let's put it that way. <laughs> good for the gas tank. I mean, yeah, China's definitely a place you got to keep in mind. And also note, you know, there's surges in COVID going on in China. We have new sanctions on people flying in from China at the moment. So how does that impact China? Um, do they have to get more heavy lockdowns? Does it impact their economy even more? Yeah. I think we all know the answers to those. No, it's hubris there. If they got their vaccine, that doesn't really work. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be bad there. And it's one of those things that we just don't know. Uh, when I look at the world map for the covid hotspots on in the papers or something like that it's funny because it's uh, china's always like there's nothing nothing going on here uh, it's probably really bad if anything we know about all of this it's almost certainly really bad so best of luck to them but that's going to have huge huge ramifications for everything from equities but especially in energy for that one is what i'd be looking at Exactly. And what happens if, you know, China's economy takes a hit because um, they have their own stock market? Do we start to see more interest in the U.S. stock market, which I think we, we know we'll see activity in our stocks strictly because of what's going on in China? I think you're spot on with energies. Um, just monitor. And at the end of the day, like no one knows what's going to happen or because one thing doesn't mean another thing's going to happen. It's not an if this, then this situation, but there's going to be some sort of reaction. So if you see a reaction, if you see news coming out and you don't know how to react to it, 
sit on your hands. Step out. Sit on the sidelines and wait and see what happens. Like, that's what I, I want to stress is the biggest thing with a lot of this news is like, Jack, we were saying today, you know, we had a good jobs number, but the stocks didn't like it. Now, if the stocks don't like a good number, which historically we know fundamentally is saying, obviously there's a lot of caveats in this, right? But a fundamentally good number is good for stocks. Um, but the market reacted opposite. And that can happen I, with any bit of information that comes out. I do wonder how they're looking at these numbers, though, where could it be, for instance, that the Fed doesn't want to see the strong job growth because it puts price pressure on things. But could it be if we see enough very high income people losing their jobs that it accomplishes kind of the same thing? Because ultimately, it's the money that you're taking out of the economy versus putting in, you know, if you eliminated a lot of those, maybe, I don't know, it's something to think about. But uh, one last thing, Dan, because you want to talk about this, and I have some thoughts too, is I think that it's going to be quite the uh, catalyst this year is all things Bitcoin. Dan, is this the end? <laughs> well, if anyone watched our predictions um, at the end of 2022, I mean, you heard my prediction little comedic in a sense when I said zero. I, I do think it's really going to struggle this year. Uh, one of the highlights and the best things that has been historically for people interest in cryptocurrency in general is no regulation, no governing associations over it. Um, but now we're starting to see some fears coming in. We're seeing some questionable behavior. Go just FTX. You know, Jack, you've talked about mm -hmm. it. The, the, what is the language like the swaps not the swaps but the the borrowing against oh yeah they had the huge margin position basically they, mm. they they put in the infinite margin cheat code and then secured it with client money which is yeah. a big no-no see a big no-no so i do believe you know you're gonna see harsher eyes on that whole industry um over the next year they're already talking about it um does crypto require some sort of governing regulation above it i know there's a push against it i know they also have their own internal you know governing associations that they try and manage themselves within the crypto world so that'll be the question i think uh, i don't think it's over but i definitely think we're going to continue to see some slippage in that market well, certainly the exchanges should be regulated in some to some extent i wouldn't you know in retrospect that's the thing about bubbles is going into them it's just like this is the new thing and sbf is a hero of the new economy and just like if you look at it on paper it's well this is an exchange that's going out of the bahamas with you know 10 people living in a house doing who knows what um i mean i would probably not uh trade large futures positions in a uh, CME competitor that was like in Bermuda or something or the Bahamas. It, it, when you're purposely going out of the way to avoid any oversight like that, I, I just still can't believe that it was that bad as far as their books. It's pretty, pretty shocking stuff. It's awful. And maybe the best case scenario, after the dot-com crash, it took the uh, NASDAQ 15 years to return to the level that it did at the height of the dot-com dot crash. And I would feel pretty safe as far as prediction that if you love 
Bitcoin by all means, but I don't think if it doesn't go to zero or basically becomes sort of like not a huge thing, I, I just can't imagine in the next five, 10 years that you're going to find enough new money to come into the system and buy Bitcoin at 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, 60,000. Um, especially after the Super Bowl commercials everywhere else, it seems that it now has this stigma of people being burnt on it. And you could say it's a lot of the non uh, the non Bitcoin things were worse and Bitcoin is different. Maybe you're right. I am not the biggest expert or anywhere close to it on it. But it is tarnished. And I just I don't know, Dan. So the one thing I will say about Bitcoin, Jack, is now that they've created futures against it, they're futures-based Bitcoin. You know, you've got the CME, you've got CBO, uh, CBOE has one, I believe, and I know there's some others out there. So you can create at least a hedge against it. So that'll really determine, you know, there have been some banks that have made money on the downside move because they were able to hedge positions. Um, I think Bitcoin's safe in that regard, uh, but I think you're right. I don't think you're going to see this um aggressive move to the upside like we saw over the last three years obviously you know i'll go back to what i was saying you know a couple years ago the same thing i'll say it today you know when we went into covid and people stopped having you stopped spending money on you know incidentals like gambling you know gambling sports gambling yeah that went out the window for a long time that created a lot of interest in bitcoin because that's when bitcoin was getting some notoriety um, you know, you stop spending going out all the time because restaurants were closed or they had, you know, some tight rules on it. There was no concerts happening. Like you didn't have those extracurriculars that you're spending money on. So you were able to put money in places like that and you were comfortable with it. Once we changed and we got back to a little bit of a normalcy and rates were at zero. So everyone was pulling their money, buying houses and moving, getting out to the suburbs and like kind of going back to a normal spending habits again, that where do you have heavy cash? You had heavy cash, say, in Bitcoin. If you owned two Bitcoin when it was at 40000 a coin, you had eighty grand in cash there. If you could get out of that coin, you could take that money, nice down payment on a house, and that starts to create these snowball effects that people start peeling. Now the question is how many people took the hedge on that, held their actual Bitcoin inventory, took the shorts on the futures, and maybe they got an opportunity, and maybe they're still holding, and maybe there's going to be a slow rise again in the future. I'll be curious to see how it plays out. Well, two last things. I think you're right, Dan. And two final thoughts on that, on the Bitcoin thing. One is that the futures, I believe, trade at a decent premium to spot Bitcoin. And that tells you something, tells something to me is that you talk about not wanting regulation. It seems a lot of people trading it want regulation because if I'm trading Bitcoin futures for the CME, I know that the CME has... Uh, margin accounts on these positions and if i make a bitcoin trade there i know that i am going to get paid in the vast majority of cases by my counterparty and i question in general with a lot of these crypto things how much the market is really efficient and i was reading an article a couple weeks ago that was talking about how there's so many hedge funds and things like that that want to short the bejesus out of a lot of crypto products but there's no real way to do it because when you short you're borrowing right so if i want to short some crypto uh whatever i won't name specifics here so if i want to short something i have to borrow it 
but the person that I borrow it from, how do I guarantee that when it goes to zero, they're going to give me the money? And that's an interesting thing to think about. And I guess that means is like how, how reflective of the real market dynamics is it? Because nobody's able to short or do stuff like that and people are just hoarding it. I think the real value at the moment is pretty open to debate. So I think you're spot on. And I think that's what's happening too, right? It's like people started thinking about that. When you started to see some of the crypto concerns um, over the last year, people started thinking there's no guarantees here where, yeah, you have something like that with CME. CME, big company, well-known, uh, very standard. regulated. Yeah. <laughs> very, very closely watched. Um, if their customers aren't getting the money that they're owed, uh, there could be big trouble for they're them. They're like the uh, Iron Bank of Bravos for my Game of Thrones heads <laughs> out there. Well, cool. Well, we probably should wrap up soon here. Those are the things we're going to be talking about a lot this year. Dan, any final thoughts or uh, top step stuff we should discuss? I think final thoughts here is, you guys, it's the first It's the first week of the year. You know, we mentioned this in Coach's Playbook. I can't stress it enough. You know, books are fresh. Start slow. Don't rush into anything. Remember, you got a long year ahead of you. Um, be patient. Wait for those opportunities. Be sniper-like, as we like to say. You know, look for those good setups, those good opportunities, and manage that risk as best you can, especially if uh, volatility picks up here, which I have no reason to think it won't. I echo that sentiment. There's a lot of positioning going on right now. Start slow. I said on Playbook, do about half your loss limit for at least the first week or two and uh, take it from there. So that's all I got for now. Stay safe out there. Trade small to start out. Hope you have a great 2023. We'll see you next week. Namaste and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is a presentation of Top Step. Check us out at topstep.com to learn more about our futures trading combine and how you can become a funded trader. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.